It's, uh, it's just an honor and a privilege again to be here. Uh, if you turn your Bibles to Numbers 15, Numbers 15, unless you've been um, raised in first century Jewish household, you'd have this memorized, but since we probably don't. While you're turning there, let me just say thank you to this church. This church is a great church. It's truly one of the best churches I've been in the world. And if I, I mean that. If I didn't mean it, I wouldn't say anything. I would just say, hey, let's go. <laughs> I, but I mean that. It's truly a great church. And your generosity, I have no idea what the offerings have been. But I just know that you're generous. And I think it's fantastic. Um, I try to live a life of generosity myself. We talked about the yoke of our rabbi Sunday night. And I can tell you that to the yoke of all the rabbis, the number one the evidence of somebody's salvation was that they were generous. Remember when Zacchaeus came out of the tree and he said, I'll give half of what I have to the poor. That's all. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't confess all his sins. He just said, I'm going to get generous. And Jesus said, that's it today. Salvation's come to your house. And uh, generosity was the key to everything, really. And uh, greed was the key to everything not good. Jesus talked about hell 15 times. All 15 of them were about greed. He let somebody caught in the act of adultery. They caught her in the act of adultery. He let her go. But he said there was a rich man that overlooked a poor man. That guy went to hell. Hmm. There was a guy that had a talent and he got so scared of losing it that he hoarded it to himself and he buried it. That guy was cast out into utter darkness. But the thief on the cross was let in. You can't figure God out. God, I know this. God honors generous people. He loves a cheerful giver. I appreciate it very much. We're not taking another offering. You can relax. I'm just telling you thank you. I'm just telling you thank you. And I never expect to receive anything. The, 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 uh, the primary way we support ourselves is through resource table. I never expect to receive anything without giving myself. I like to be a giver. And um, I'd like to tonight not have anything to have to ship back. So... Um, I have uh, a couple series here I want to tell you about. Uh, the first one is a series called Phases in the Master's Plan. And what that is is a four-part series on the Hebraic concept of Ehad, which is unity. It has to do with uh, how you fit into the whole cosmos and into the church particularly and the unity of the church and the unity of people and the power of agreement and things like this. And so that's what's in this. I'd like to give that away to somebody then. Okay, you're there. From the, from the show of hands there, uh, product table people, from the show of hands there, we should sell out of those pretty easily. Because I know everybody just didn't want that for free. And then, um, then there's another one back there called Reality TV. Now, the, 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 the title doesn't say everything. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. <clears throat> Gee, that face. It wasn't, you know, most people just go. She was like. <laughs> um. But this is a six-part series on living out of who you really are instead of an image you've created. See, most of us don't live out of who we really are. Most of us live out of an image that we've created to impress people we don't like. And, um, and so, and so we, um, we, we, we do that. And so this is a six-part series. It really goes through Moses' life pretty well. Moses' life was just a series of traumas. If you go back and read Moses' life for what it really is, it was awful, truly. Like, his mother threw him... In a river with alligators. 
Imagine that in a counseling office later. <laughs> See this time? <laughs> Mom, she threw me in this river. <laughs> Like, no, who goes through that? Like, then he was given to another person's house, and his mom was paid to nurse him, and then they took her away from him again, and he was in Pharaoh's house. And, and, then, and then he ends up killing this guy. I looked this way and that, and seeing no one, I killed the man and hit him in the sand. Like, what does that do to your soul to premeditated murder a guy? And then he goes out, and he's tending sheep for 40 years, and a burning bush talks to him. It's a counseling session gone very wrong. And the counseling session goes, hey, go back to Egypt. So he just obeys God. And if you read Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4 is so interesting to me. It says that Moses is on his way back to Egypt. And on the way there, God tries to kill him. That's a bad day. Like when God sets out to kill you, that's... He normally tries, does... He normally accomplishes what he sets out to do. And it says that... This is so interesting. It says that his wife freaked out. It's actually in the Hebrew, freaked out. It says that, that I'm, I'm just kidding, rough crowd here tonight. It's, <clears throat> and so it says his wife freaked out, and, and, she, and she held down his firstborn son, who would have been like 16 years old at this time. It, he, had, he held down the firstborn son, and she circumcised her son with a rock, which is another counseling session gone very wrong. Like, you never hear from that kid again. Like, you imagine that 20 years later. So what happened to you? <laughs> See, there was this time where dad showed up. God showed up and tried to kill dad. And mom freaked out and held me down and circumcised me. <clears throat> you imagine that at family dinner the next night? Like, you imagine she gets the knives out to set the table. And he's like, mom, put the knife away. Mom, put the knife away. Like all these weird things happened to Moses. And, it, and, and it, in Moses' life, it created an image around him that wasn't who he was. Because this is all a six-part series about living out of who you really are. And I'll give that to, uh, to Jim Carrey over here. Um, yeah. uh, <clears throat> you actually have a very lovely smile. It was just big. <laughs> very good. All right. You guys ready for the word? Numbers 15. Verse 37, I think, if you don't have your Bible, I think they're prepared to put it by, look at that. Brilliant people here. All right. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, Numbers 15, verse 37, and the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all of the commands of the Lord your God, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all of my commands and will be consecrated to the Lord your God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. For I am the Lord your God. It is God's commanding the people to sew tassels on the corners of their garments. This is a tallit, which there's a couple concepts that's going on here. Um, a tallit to a first century Hebrew person and to these people was symbolic of the presence of God. It, it was a microcosm of the holy veil that separated the holy of holies from the holy place. If you read Exodus, I think it's 34, it gives the dimensions of the, uh, how they were supposed to do the curtain, and it looks kind of like this. This is a small version of that. And what they had to do was they had to sew these tassels 
on the corners. Now, there's a couple words I needed to teach you. The first one is the word for corners, which is kanaf. Can you say that with me? Go. Okay, one more time. Go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's K-A-N-A-F, kanaf. Kanaf. And that just gets translated corners, borders, hem, things like this. Okay? The other word is the word, it says you should sew tassels on the corners of your garment. The word for tassels is the word zitzio. Can you say that with me? Okay, say it again. Okay, so, so he says you have to sew tassels on the kanaf of your garment. You have to sew zitziot on the kanaf of your garment. And what, what it was was, I don't know how well you can see this, but basically there's, there's a tassel here. And there's all kinds of symbolism in it. Um, there's five knots in the tassel. There's five knots, one for each book of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There's also four spaces between the five knots, for one for each letter in the holy name Yahweh, yud ha vav ha See, God's name wasn't really Yahweh. When, when Moses asked God his name, God says, my name is yud ha vav ha which essentially and phonetically doesn't go together. It'd be like you saying, what's your name? And I say, my name's Zosh Beshaven, Frogenhaven, Shoban Robin. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, uh, he's like, what's your name? And God's like, my name's Yudha Vavha. Yudha, Yudha Vavha, Yudha Vavha, Yudha Vavha. And so it was just four letters that didn't even go together. And so the, the, the Jews tried to try to work it out as to how to even say that name. And so they quit actually saying it. They, actually, they would, if they said it, they would cover their head because of the reverence of it. It's because God was speaking. This was God's way of life. And so they, they, had, they had five knots, one for each book of the Torah, four spaces between each knot, one for each letter of the holy name Yahweh. So they were tying to themselves the word of God and the name of God. God to themselves. Oh, also, um, there's this, uh, it, it takes 613 loops to tie one of these. There's exactly 613 commands in the Old Testament. So, so they had the word of God and the name of God and the ways of God tied to them. Um, also, um, when, 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 the, when the knot was finished on each side, there would be three white strands and one blue one. And then on the other side, three white strands of one blue one. So you got three and one, three and one. So you had the nature of God there. So you had the word of God, the, the name of God, the ways of God, and the nature of God all tied up on you. Really cool. All tied to his presence. Um, oh, also, they, they, they ended up with eight strands. When they tied the tassel correctly, it would end up with eight strands. Eight is the number of new beginnings, which is the number of grace. So you have the, the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the nature of God, and the grace of God all tied to you. And, and so he's saying, he's saying, I command Moses. Moses, command the people saying that throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garment. To this day, in certain Jewish circles, like I, I, I've seen this. I was at lunch not too long ago with a guy, and, and he wore this undergarment underneath his shirt. And coming out from that undergarment was tassels sewn to the corners of his garment. He didn't walk around with this, but he had an undergarment with tassels sewn to him. Why would God do that? Why would God tell us that? It's because God knows that we're tactile imagery people, especially first century and, and ancient Near East people. And so what they would do is they would wear their prayer shawl, and when they wore it, they would take the tassels and they would wrap it around their fingers like this. So they, they wore their prayer shawl up over their shoulders, and then they would take the tassels and they would wrap it around their fingers 
others like this. Why? Because that way, if before you sinned, anytime you sinned, you had to unwrap God. So it was always a reminder that God's way is the way of life. God's way brought me from darkness to light. God's way brought me from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. God's way, God's name, God's grace. It has nothing to do with me. For by grace I have been saved through faith and not of myself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God's way is the way of life. God's way is the way of life. God's way is the way out of slavery. God's way is the way to wholeness God's way God's path this is the best life to live so there's all kinds of imagery with this like oh remember there's one time where this guy named Saul was chasing this guy named David around and and um and and it was like not fair it was like Saul and a bunch of guys against David and the Bible says that Saul was on his way to get David and he had to go to the toilet and so he goes into the cave to, it says in English, it says he goes into the cave to relieve himself. But in Hebrew, it says he go to, he went into the cave to cover his feet. That's disgusting. You'll get that later, I guess. So, um, okay, okay, so, okay. So Saul goes in there to, to use the toilet and it says that David snuck up behind him and cut off the corner of his garment now, my Sunday school teacher who meant well, she said that David was doing that so he could show Saul that he could have killed him, but he decided not to. And she meant well, and that's, I guess, a good guess, but that's not what it was about at all. Saul was the king of where? Israel. Okay, come on now. Saul was the king of where? Uh, yeah, okay, everybody knows the answer to that. Okay, Saul's the king of Israel, so what would he have been wearing on the corners of his garment? Tassels. So if David cuts off the corner of his garment, what did David cut off? His, his anointing. Yeah. So David, that's why Saul saw it as a reproach. And that's why later David got so guilty. I can't believe I've touched God's anointed. It's, it's because it, in, in that culture to cut off somebody's tassels. Remember, Saul gets done doing what he's doing. And, and, and he walks out and he, he faces his men and he doesn't have tassels. And David is off in the distance going, hey. I've got your tassels. In other words, you're not the man anymore. You're not the one with God's favor on his life. I am. Like, there's all this cool stuff. Like, eh, they're not listening to me tonight, David. Um, the, like, that's cool. Um, the, the, like, there, have you ever heard of going into your prayer closet? Yeah, what they would do, it wasn't the place you kept the broom. I'm going to try to do this with them. What they would do is they'd wrap their, their, the, these things around their hands, and they would do it on both hands. I've got this in my hands. So I can't quite do it. And then what they would do is with both hands, they would take it and go into their prayer closet. See? Like, there's this one place. It, the, the word kanaf means corners, borders, or hem. But over time, it started to mean wings. And the reason it started to mean wings is because when the priest would bless the people... At the end of the service, he would stand before them. He would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And when he did that, let me show you what he did. And let me show you why the word kanaf started to mean wings. 
So there was this thing where this word kanaf ceased to mean corners, borders, or him and started to mean wings. And so there in the Psalms, David writes things like under the shadow of your wings, which means under the shadow of the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the favor of God, the nature of God, under the shadow of those things, that's where I will abide. In other words, in my prayer closet, in my prayer life, under the presence of God himself, that's where I will abide. And that's where peace is found. Hmm. And see, yeah, we're picking it up now. Okay, good. This is the place I remember. Now, then there's this one place in Malachi chapter four, verse two, where it says this. There will come from God a son of righteousness. This is a reference, a prophecy about Messiah. There will come from God a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. The same word, kanaf. It's the same word. There will come from God a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In other words, whoever Messiah is, there's healing in his tassels. Whoever Messiah is, there's something about how he carries the name of God, the word of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. There's something about the way he carries the presence of God on himself that brings healing from the very tassels that he's wearing. Turn to Mark chapter 5. An interesting story happens in Mark chapter 5. It says this in verse 21, Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, let's just stop and put the whole story in context. Where is Jesus going? He's, he's going to a man's house named Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler. This is like a master teacher of the word of God. This is the guy. This is like the senior executive pastor of a huge place. And his daughter is sick and is dying. And he comes to Jesus and he says, please, we find out later she's 12. My 12-year-old daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she might be healed. So Jesus is moved with compassion and Jesus goes with him. He is going the context of Mark chapter 5, he is going to Jairus's house to pray for his daughter. This is where we're going. So, so when I, I'm going to ask you a question, where's Jesus going? Say Jairus's house, okay? Where's Jesus going? We've got to remember this throughout this whole passage or you get lost in all the subplots. The, the plot of the whole thing is that he's going to Jairus's house to pray for his daughter. Okay, now let's keep going. A large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman there was who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to tell the story instead of instead of reading it. Um, 
basically Jesus is on his way where? And, and, and this, this lady, there's this huge crowd pressing in on him. And this lady who's had an issue of bleeding for 12 years starts elbowing her way through the crowd. Don't you like her already? Like she's throwing a few elbows. She's being proactive. She's being pushy. And she's had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. Now, there's something going on here that if you don't understand this principle, you can't understand this passage. And that is this. There's a principle of Tameh and Tehor. I want you to say those words with me. First, Tameh. Go. Say it again. Go. The other one is Tehor. Go. Say it again. Okay. Tameh just meant unclean. So a leper, if he got diagnosed with leprosy, would have to walk through town going, Tameh, 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 unclean, unclean, unclean. So you have to understand this about Tameh. Tameh was very contagious. We define sin so poorly. I know I talked about this some Sunday night, but we define sin so poorly. We define sin as the bad things that we do. And sin is the bad things that we do. But sin is far bigger than that. Sin is anything that is not perfect. If you read the book of Leviticus, you'll find that to have dandruff is sin. Mm. To, to wear eyeglasses is sin. It made you unclean. To have any physical deformity at all. If you had eczema on, on, on your wrist, it, it, was, it, was, it was considered tamay. Eyeglasses, any eyesight, because they didn't have eyeglasses by then. Any kind of eyesight problem was considered Tamay. Um, uh, dandruff was considered Tamay. Any kind of skin disorder, Tamay. For a woman to have her period, Tamay. And, and uh, for a woman to give birth was a sin. It, it, you, if you gave birth, you had to bring, according to Leviticus 12, 6 and 7, you had to bring a sin offering to atone for your loss of blood because when you gave birth, you lost blood. And so, and you were never intended to lose blood. That was as a part of the curse of sinfulness. And so you were then Tamay. It, it made you, and here was the problem with Tamay. This is how easy it was to catch it. She's wearing eyeglasses. And assuming she's got skin imperfection somewhere, all I have to do is touch her and now I'm Tamay. So, so this, this Tamay-ness was very contagious, it was very contagious. It made you Tamay. In Leviticus, it talks about, it says that, that you're Tamay if you touch furniture where a married couple had been intimate in the last three days. What'd you do? Put a sign up? Like, like everything made you Tamay. I don't know how they lived back then. So Tamay was unclean. It was very contagious. Now, once you were declared Tehor, which means clean, once you were declared Tehor, then you were baptized in a mikvah. In public, they would baptize you to say, this person can now be touched again. And so they baptized anybody was, anytime anybody was moved from a state of Tameh to a state of Tehor. Now, let's fast forward to Mark chapter 5. If a lady had an issue of bleeding for 12 years, what did that make her? Tameh, which has huge implications. She would not have been purposely touched in 12 years. She would not have been purposely hugged in 12 years. When she walked in a room, people would put their hands behind their back so as to avoid having to touch her. Can you imagine living a life for 12 years where nobody purposely touched you? Can you imagine the rejection, the abandonment, the feeling of I've been wronged? Has anybody in this room ever felt like God gave you a bad deal? Can you imagine that feeling? Can you imagine the times on her bed at night where she would have wondered, what did I do to deserve this? 
How many of you know you don't have to ask that question very many times to come up with some ideas? She would have thought about all the sins she's ever committed. She'd have thought about things that she did. Maybe God's mad at me. And I'm sure there was some lovely Pentecostal preacher there to remind her that God might have been mad at her. Remember when they run across this guy and his disciples say, Jesus, who sinned that he became like that? And Jesus said, nobody. Why does anybody have to sin for somebody to be like that? See, it's just in us to automatically think if something's going wrong, there's got to be sin somewhere. Can you imagine this lady living 12 years, never, ever, ever being purposely touched? Not one time. And anybody who touched her, it was treated like the plague. Now, now if you touch her, you're TMA. And now you've got to go through and you've got to be cleansed and you've got to be rebaptized. This would have been a major, major problem. And so she elbows her way through the crowd Can you imagine that? Because everybody she's touching now is becoming. She elbows her way through the crowd. And the Bible says that she grabs the corner of Jesus's garment. Which is a bit weird. This is where the story turns weird. Jesus says, who touched me? Power has left from me. Which, let's be honest, doesn't that have like a Star Wars flavor to it? Like, doesn't Jesus go a bit Obi-Wan Kenobi on us there? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Which leaves us, did Jesus, which leaves us with a couple questions. Did Jesus know who touched him? Of course, he was Jesus. So then why would a first century Jewish rabbi Make a public spectacle out of a lady with an issue of blood touching his clothes. Why would he do that? He wouldn't do that. Like, this is so important. Hebrew people always think function. Greek people always think form. Okay? This is so important in understanding the Bible. Hebrew people always think function. Greek people always think form. Let me give you an example. And God hid Moses in the crevice of the rock with his hand. So what do you picture? We're all Greek people. So we picture a crevice of the rock and the hand of God, which is like huge. Like you picture Moses and like the biggest hand imaginable. Does God have a hand? No, he's a spirit. So when they talk about the hand of God, they think function. What does a hand do? A hand holds, a hand comforts, a hand hides, a hand lifts up, a hand protects, a hand loves, a hand caresses, a hand does those things. God doesn't have like a hand. I mean, it works okay for the hand, but later it says Moses saw the backside of God. Well, if God's hand is big. God's backside would be huge. See, Hebrew people don't think in terms of form. They think in terms of function, which I'll leave that question with you. What's the function of the backside of God? Anyway, I have an answer for it. It's in how to read the Bible like a Hebrew. Anyway, and so they think function, not form. They think they, they, it's all about 
function. It's not about the tassels per se. It's about what it represents. It's about the faith that it draws. It's about the remembrance that it brings. It's about, there's nothing magical about it. It's, it's just this, it's just a faith. It's a response. It's a function. It's a, there's a son of God with coming with healing in his wings. And this lady pushes through. And everybody's Tamay. And you have this Jewish rabbi, which this is what I was getting to with function. Laying on of hands has nothing to do with this. This is the form of laying on of hands. Now, am I telling you don't put do this? No, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just simply saying, would a rabbi have touched a sick person? No chance. Why? Because they would be unclean. They would be Tamay. But did rabbis lay hands on people? Yes. It just has nothing to do with touching people. To, to lay hands on somebody came from the concept of, of Yom Kippur when they, when they killed the, uh, the, the goat. And they, they would have the scapegoat and they would have the other lamb that, that was slain for, for the sins of, of the nation. And they would bring the lamb in. And they would lay the lamb on the altar. And, and, and the priest would lay hands on the lamb, which was called Malah. And, and, and it was, can you say that word with me? Malah, go. And he would take he would take the sins of Israel and he would place it on the lamb. And what rabbinical tradition says is that the pressure of the sins of Israel going onto the lamb would cause the priest to have to turn his head. Remember when Jesus, when God put the sins of the world on Jesus, what did God have to do? Hmm. At exactly the ninth hour, the priest would say it is finished and he would cut the lamb's throat. At exactly the ninth hour, the Lamb of God and the high priest of the world said, it is finished. Then the priest would catch the Lamb's blood in this cone-shaped cylinder, and he would shake it because the, the blood had to stay alive. He would shake it to keep the blood moving, and he would scream all the way to the Holy of Holies, Don't touch me! Don't touch me! For I have not yet offered the blood of the sacrifice. He would go into the Holy of Holies, sprinkling blood in there before him. And then he would come out, and he would wash, and then he could be touched. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead, there's these two women and he greets them and he goes, don't touch me, don't touch me for I've not yet ascended to my father. The reason is because if he'd have been touched before he offered his blood in heaven, he'd have had to go through it all again. See, you can't do that. Jesus didn't want it. But the next picture show, he's showing up and he's pulling up his shirt sleeve saying, you can touch me now. In other words, the offering has been accepted for all time. Let that which is Tamay be called Tehor. So are we tracking on Tamay and Tehor? Okay, so she reaches up and she grabs the hem of his garment. And Jesus makes this huge show. Who touched me? Who touched me? Basically, it's kind of weird. Like, it's very un-Hebrew. It's like, he's like going, who touched me? Everybody look, somebody dirty touched me. And this lady comes out and it says it's very important theologically to understand that Jesus never became unclean. But if she touches him and is not made whole, is he unclean? Yes. But she touches him and instantly that which made her Tamay was made Tehor. But Jesus still makes a show of it. Who touched me? Who touched me? Now, a lady in a village who had an issue of bleeding for 12 years, how many people would have known it? All of them. So everybody standing there thinks of Jesus as what now? Tamay. Everybody standing there thinks he's Tamay. This is very important because where is Jesus going? Jairus' house. 
he says to her, go in peace. Which for us, peace is the absence of conflict. But for Jesus, peace was a concept called shalom, which is the presence of wholeness without one missing piece. In other words, peace to this lady, her, the, the issue of bleeding that she had that dried up, that was one thing. But the bigger issue for this lady was 12 years of rejection, 12 years of abandonment, 12 years of not being touched, feeling like an outcast, being treated like an outcast, being gossiped about, knowing that people in the next room are saying things like, what's wrong with her? Does she want this illness? Knowing that people in the next room are saying, what is wrong with her? Does she not have the faith? Knowing that people in the next room are acting like the church acts. Knowing. Jesus says, no, your physical healing is one thing, but you need to go in shalom. Salvation to Jesus was about far, far more than heaven and hell. Salvation to Jesus was about wholeness here, now, today. And there's healing in his tassels. There's healing in the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, and the grace of God as it is attached to Messiah Jesus. There's healing in his wings. And it's not just healing for your physical body. I know some of you are here tonight who you need a touch from God for your physical body. And we're going to believe God for you for that. But bigger than that, it's are you whole? Go in shalom. Because see, if we're not careful, let me just share my heart, okay? If we're not careful as the church of Jesus Christ, we're guilty of teaching a salvation that's about heaven and hell. And let me be honest, it is about heaven and hell. And if, that is a, if, and if that's all it is, it's still a good deal. Like heaven, hell, who wants to go to heaven? I mean, hell's a dumb decision. But salvation is about far, far more than that. If we make it just about heaven and hell, we become guilty of teaching a salvation that sounds something like this. Hey, hey. Hey, get saved, get saved, get saved, and you can come along with us. And one day we're all going to die and it'll all get better. It's even in the songs that we sing, used to sing. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. It's kind of like, oh, this life stinks. I can't wait for heaven. No, Jesus died so you could have the best life here, now, today. That there's still healing in his wings. Go in shalom. But where's he going? Jairus' house. Who touched me? Who touched me? Everybody standing there now thinks he's Tamay. This is so important. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? That's a very insensitive thing to say. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now, this is so important. He just heals this lady with the issue of blood. 
But he doesn't declare her healed, does he? He says, your faith has made you well. But he says, go in shalom. He doesn't make a big deal about her being healed. Like by, like he, he just says, go in peace. This is a bigger deal. Why? Why, why is that? Well, he's going to Jairus' house. Okay? Now, you've got to understand this. They come to Jerry, they, The people from Jerry's house come to Jesus and say, Jairus, your daughter's dead already. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Now, that sounds very insensitive until you understand this, that it was against the law for a rabbi to knowingly walk into a room where a dead body was. Unless he was already considered Tameh. Who touched me? Who touched me? Everybody look. This lady with an issue of blood, she just touched me. Now the world thinks he's Tam, eh? Why bother the rabbi anymore? Well, see, now he's allowed in the room. But Jesus covers his bases, doesn't he? He goes, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Wink, wink. Watch what happens. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion, as you would, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went in where the child was and he took her by the hand. Is it Tamay to touch a dead body? You bet. And he took her by the hand. Do you realize that if she doesn't get up, Jesus can't die for you? This is a huge Act of faith. And what tradition says is that Jesus wrapped his hand because he would have been walking like this anyhow. Had his hand wrapped in his own tassels and he reached down and he took her by the hand because he's still the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Watch the next phrase. And he took her by the hand. Remember, what is this called? You've got kanaf, you've got tassels, but what's the whole thing called? Talit. And it's seen as the presence of God. Now watch this. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talit ha-kum. Talit ha-kum. Little girl, the Talit's here. Little girl, the presence of God is here. Little girl, get up. I'm here to tell you tonight that the power of God is here. Jesus is standing here tonight saying to this church, my child, the Talit's here. He's saying to Bay City Christian Center, Talit Ha Kum. My children, the Talit is here. Arise. There's still 
a son of righteousness with healing in his tassels. Where do you need to touch the tassels? Where do you need a resurrection? For some of you, the touch of the tassels comes in the form of some kind of physical need. For others, it's somebody here who who was violated as a child by someone who was supposed to protect them. But instead of protecting them, they violated them and it created all kinds of emotional holes. And a touch of the tassels for those folks, it's more about being able to lay your head down at night in shalom. And that's just as much healing as anything else. There's there's somebody here, I'm sure, whose husband left you. And Talit Hakum for you is somehow coming to a place where you know that you're still worthy and that you weren't the total responsibility for your husband's bad decision. There's somebody here, I'm sure, whose wife made a similar decision. And the tassels for you represent the wholeness that God can bring to restore your life. There's somebody here who I'm sure made a decision in their past. And sometimes not a day goes by, but definitely not a week goes by where you're not haunted by the consequences of that decision. And at those moments, you just can't get over the guilt to lead ha Jesus would say to you, there comes from God a son of righteousness with healing in his tassels. That today, in 2007, there's still healing in the tassels of God.